This morning we read from 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 7 and uh, 9 through 12, or 12 through 15. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rites, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. We had, um, we had a word from the Lord uh, this morning to a prophet in our midst. His name is Brian Porter. And it was a, it was a word from the Lord about who was going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, today. And the word came to the prophet Brian and spoke to him very clearly. Brian, bring the red guitar. For the 49ers shall have victory over their enemies today. Hear the word of the Lord unto our prophet Brian. <laughs> I want to show you an image from the Beta Breakers. It's a great race in uh, San Francisco. And here's the scripture that we have in our text this morning. Verse 24 of chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race... All runners will run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And I want to show you some images and ask the question, who do you think is going to win the race? The guy with the funny hair or the other guy? What's the next one? The Where's Waldo group? Or the other group? What's next? Riding a woolly mammoth will get you to the prize. Or this other one? Bacon and eggs. That should win the prize. The stormtroopers. Who will win the race? The scriptures say, run in such a way as to get the prize. Verse 25 says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
and they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, but run like these in the picture. Run in such a way as to get the prize. In the context of this passage in Corinthians chapter 9, running in such a way as to get the prize means that we lace up our shoes and we live out love as a verb. It means we run in such a way that we surrender our rights, our freedoms, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be proclaimed. It means that we would learn to be a stepping stone, helping people to draw closer unto the Lord, rather than a stumbling block that trips people up, that hinders the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, entering into their lives. Running in such a way as to win the prize means that we we recognize that the Lord wants us to run. He wants to involve us in His kingdom work. You guys experienced that at Urbana, didn't you? God has value for your life. He wants to have us express His love to men and women to draw people unto the Lord into a, into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. To help them grow deeper in their knowledge of Christ and His truth. To fully know His love. He wants us in the race. He doesn't want us on the sidelines. He doesn't want us sitting on some couch eating nachos and hot wings, watching some football game all day long. Except for today, you get a, you get a pass. He wants us in the biggest game of all, the kingdom games, God's kingdom work in this world, his love for humanity. He wants us training in righteousness. He wants us to have victory over the enemy. He wants to break into lost and broken humanity. We are part of that. God wants us to run in such a way like this as to win the prize. I sat yesterday with a, with a beautiful group of people from this body, 30 folks from age 8 years old to 72. And it's a group that is asking the Lord and has felt called by the Lord to go to the Ukraine this summer. Lord willing, around July 5th for two weeks. And we are going to partner with former Soviet Union Young Life to go and, and bring the love of God to a bunch of teenagers who live in a lot of hopelessness and to go into orphanages and to be, hopefully, heavenly fathers and heavenly parents that love up these kids who have no parents. And, and we sat in that room and I realized as I looked around the room and all of these people, I'm like, these are folks who are saying, Lord, 
I want to run the race. I don't, I don't want to run aimlessly. I don't want to just go in day in and day out and just say, oh, this is a nice life. I don't want to just put on the costume and enter the race. I want to actually win the prize. And so be praying, dear family, for these 30 saints who, Lord willing, will be going to the Ukraine this summer. A group of people who said, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom work. And Father, thank you that you want to include me in sharing the love that you have for humanity. And it's a question for all of us, isn't it? Are we running in such a way as to win the prize? And in this context, too, it brings out this beautiful picture that running in such a way to win the prize, it brings great pleasure to the Father. And when we run in such a way, we feel his pleasure. Don't we all want that? Don't we want our dad to say, hey, proud of you. I love what you're doing. comes alongside of us. And don't we want to hear the words from our Heavenly Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we can't do anything as we hear these words and as we receive the pleasure of the Father, we can't do anything else but to want to share this love of God with others. This beautiful truth, I must take it to the world. And so big picture, are we running the race in such a way as to win the prize? Paul speaks this morning saying, you have the right to run and you have the right to run freely. He brought that up last week and Mark Matthews did a nice job in, in bringing us to, to an understanding of we have a freedom to, to run freely in this Christian life. And he said, you know what, the Christians in Corinth, it, it was okay for them as followers of Christ to, to go down to the to the local McDonald's and order up an idol burger, you know, with, with, with lots of extra golden sauce on that. You could do that. You're free to eat meat sacrificed to idols. But what it did in the middle of that is there's a lot of younger Christians who are growing up and learning the truths of the Lord and, and how, how he leads them, and they struggled with that. How can they eat this meat sacrificed to idols? I don't get it. And it was playing, playing havoc in their life and in, on their conscience, their Christian conscience, like, this doesn't make sense. And it was really throwing them for a loop, if you remember what Mark brought to you last week. And Paul says this, listen, you have liberty. You can eat that meat. But you really have liberty to love. You have liberty to sacrifice. You have liberty to care for your brothers and sisters who don't understand that freedom. And so live with the liberty to love. And that's the theme that's going to translate into chapter 9 this morning. Paul is going to say, you have freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols. You have the right to that. It's fine. And then he's going to come into chapter 9 along the same lines. And he's going to say, listen, those who are in ministry, those who are, 
are working unto the Lord, laboring unto the Lord, have freedom and have the right to earn a wage for their labor. But here's the big picture of chapters 8, 9, and 10. You can't miss this. We have liberties, we have freedoms, we have rights. But Paul's saying very clearly, but I will not make use of those rights because I don't want it to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to trip up my brother or sister. And for those who don't know Jesus, I don't want in any way to hinder the message of the love of Jesus Christ for them. And so although I have the right to it, I'm not going to take it. That's the big picture. It's that liberty to love. And that's what he brings up this morning in in chapter 9 as he speaks about some of these issues that are very personal to him. You see, the, the Corinthians wrote letters asking questions of Paul, saying, hey, tell us about these issues that are coming up. And here's some things that are stirring. And so Paul... Uh, seems to be responding to those letters that were written to him and tries to address some issues. Obviously, one was the meat sacrificed to idols. The other was, was trying to understand Paul's speaking on these issues and his authority. Some kind of challenge to the, his authority. What's Paul all about? Who is this guy? Some didn't understand his, his freedoms and what he was teaching, some were confused by, by the, the way he was actually living out and doing ministry, and he wasn't taking a wage. They were confused by that. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. He says, is it, is it a sin for me that I would present the gospel to you free of charge? Is that sinful? And so we get some indication that the Corinthians were struggling with this because, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, there's these guys, these super apostles, and you're awfully enamored with them. And you know what? They're the guys that came into town and they're charging a big fee. You want to hear the good news? It's going to cost you. And so the Corinthians were struggling with this because they were so into uh, philosophers and the great orators and those who would speak with great eloquence and pontificate their wisdom. And Paul's not charging anything. He must not be very good. He really must not be an apostle. So there's some of that going on. Again, we don't, we don't totally know all of, the, all of the misunderstandings about what was taking place. But Paul's saying, listen, simple truth is, I'm not interested in money, and I'm not in, in the ministry because of the money. You see, I'm in the ministry and sharing the good news because God's love has compelled me, and I can't shut up about it. And no one is going to hinder that, and I will not let it be taken away from me, and so I won't take a wage, even though I have a right to do that. Nobody's going to say, you're doing it for money, Paul. He will not be a stumbling block because he's a good shepherd. Because he cares for the flock. And he wants people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if they're confused by who he is and what's going on. You know, isn't that true today? I mean, we don't, we don't get it with what pastors are. 
and what they do. You know, I, I get stuff all the time. It's like, man, what a sweet gig you got. You work one day a week, you know, for maybe an hour. And, and, and what a sweet deal. That's a good job. You know what's a better job than being a pastor? Being an Olympic runner, a sprinter. Guess what their gig is? You work for maybe nine and a half seconds. Only, only one time every four years. That's a good gig. I mean, people are confused, aren't they? I always get that. It's like, no, no, really, what do you do? And I'm like, I hang out at Starbucks all day. <laughs> Isn't it obvious? That's where all preachers hang out. And they don't understand. They're like, no, what, like, what's your real job? What do you do besides this? And then they say stuff like, and you get paid for this? I mean, they're kind of blown away, and they're almost disgusted by it. Like, really? Get paid for these things? There's a, there, people just don't get what pastors do. And then there's all these assumptions and, and just kind of things that are put on the pastor. It's stuff like, well, the pastor definitely shouldn't drive a car that is, that is you know, newer than 1989. <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, so I thank God for my Pinto. It's got three wheels. It's totally rusted out. Hey, man, I'm doing this for Jesus. You know, there's just a view. It's confusing for a lot of people in the world. What, what is a pastor all about? And I think it was confusing for the Corinthians. What, what's Paul all about? His apostleship, his teachings to us. He's teaching us about Jesus and what that's all about. And there's issues about wages going on. How does that play out in life? And so they're asking some questions. And so he's going to develop an argument like a legal argument of why it's right, actually good, honoring to give a pastor a wage for his labor. And the first thing he says in the first verse is, hey, listen, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? You guys know me, Corinthian church. You know what I'm all about. And I don't think he's trying to prove his apostleship. I think he's saying, you guys know I'm an apostle. I'm the guy who came and started the church. Remember? We hung out together. You saw all that took place. You know I'm an apostle. You know I'm free. And I'm free to speak these things to you because of my life that was involved in your life. And he goes on, he's like, wait a second. Everybody else gets to have a wife along with them in ministry. You got Jesus' brothers, Jude and James. They get to bring along their wives and have them be part of ministry. Cephas, Peter. Peter gets to have a wife and have her in ministry. What? It's just Barney and I. We don't get this privilege? He goes, that doesn't make sense. Come on, guys. He goes, listen, it's right. And, and we're here and we're, we're the ones and we are in your midst, and I am an apostle, and the reason that you guys know that is because you're the fruit. You're the seal. That seal was that, that ring, that signet ring that you would press in wax. It would authenticate who you were, where this shipping came from, where this letter came from. It's authentic. You know what I'm all about. 
That's the first reason he says that the pastor has the right to earn a wage in his ministry. And he's speaking to them about that. Then he goes in and he says, listen, it's just, the second reason is, it's just logical. It's life experience. Is a guy going to go into the military and, and they're going to say, listen, come and fight. Be all you can be for us. Bring your own tank. I mean, right? Provide your own weapons. You're going to save the country, but you've got to bring it all. And we're not going to pay you, and you've got to bring your weapons. No, of course not. Or if one is out in the, in the vineyard, and they're planting grapes, isn't it only natural that they, they take some of the grapes and enjoy the fruit of their labor? Absolutely. What if I'm out and I'm a shepherd and I have goats? Isn't it common and normal and right that the one who would raise up the goats would get some of the milk from the goat? The answer to all those is, duh. Obviously. It's, it's common practice. And all of those works, and same with Paul, because he fits in this case, they were all for the common good, weren't they? The military and, and the, the one who works in the vineyard and the, the shepherd. It's all for the common good. And so is the labor of Christ. And so he says, listen, it is right and it's appropriate that a, that a pastor, a shepherd, would be taken care of. And here's why. And I have the right to take a wage. I have a right. But I'm not going to use that. And he says, not, it's not just my idea, verse 8, not, it's not just me who's thinking this up. This is, this is the way it was. It's the law. Remember Deuteronomy 25.4 he's bringing out? He's like, don't you remember what it says? It says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading the ground. The image was an Egyptian image. And, and what they do, I, I always kind of had an image in my mind of a, like an a oil press where you had a big stone that would go around in a circle and the oxen would pull it around. The Egyptian way it was done was the oxen would have, uh, it was a big round stone, but it was flat. And they would be tied to that and then they would drag it across a hard floor and it would crack out the, the grains of wheat and things of that that they were eating. And so he's bringing that image to their mind. When, when we have the, the oxen do that, you let them eat a little bit. You don't muzzle them. Because they'll, they'll die. And they need sustenance. So that they can keep going. And then he goes on with the argument. And he's saying, listen. What, was this written so that the oxen, when they read the scriptures, they're like, oh, thank God. He put it in here. That we should, we should have food. Was this written for the oxen? And the answer to that is absolutely not. It's, it's written for us. It's written for people. And the idea is this. That as the one who ministers in your midst does his labor, he should receive provision, sustenance, a wage. It's appropriate. It's good. And it's right. 
It's his right to that because the scriptures are very clear. It's not about the oxen. It's about the shepherds in your midst. And so think about what's going on and how that's happening. And so they plow, verse 10, in hope. There's plowing in a ministry with the hope of several things. The hope is that we will have life on life and that we will enter in in such a way and that like Paul had with the Corinthians, that there'd be fruit. We're hopeful for that as shepherds. And he's saying the same thing. And we should also, and it's not unreasonable, to have the hope that there will be provision for us to keep doing the ministry. Again, oh, you shouldn't have that. This is your calling. We have to be very careful with that attitude and that thinking because it's not right. I was just talking to a young guy the other day who has a, a heart to go into ministry. And, he, and so he's been interviewing. He had been interviewing all around the nation, you know, as things came up. And so finally he connected with this one church, and, and the one church was, was really blessed by him, and uh, he loved the church, and, and the church really loved him. And so they said, listen, we really want you to come to our church and to shepherd our church. They said, but we can't pay you anything. But just come. Come on, man, isn't this your calling? And there's a lot of churches that do that to these young men and women. They have this, this mentality like, hey, if it's your calling, then God will just figure it out for your money. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The laborer has a right to provision. And it's good and it's honoring. And so take care of them. But the big picture, again, Paul's saying, look at verse 12. He's really clear, and, and you cannot miss this in light of everything that he's getting at. I have rights. I have rights. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I have a right to earn a living. I will not make use of that right. That's chapter 8, that's chapter 9, that's chapter 10. We have freedoms, we have liberties, but let us use our liberty to love and to care for and to minister to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not take advantage of my rights because I will not put an obstacle, anything in the way, to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did that look like for Corinth? What, what was happening in Corinth that, that would put an obstacle in their way? Let me give you an example. And here's what I want you to do, brothers and sisters. I want you to pull out your checkbooks right now. I'm serious. Because God has given me a word. It is time for you to plant a seed. Plant a seed, I said, and it will multiply ten, a hundredfold. And so get out your checkbooks, right? I'm not joking. Let's see them. Get them out, get them out, get them out. Do you feel the Spirit? Do you feel it? Do you feel it? I feel the Spirit. And He has told me very clearly to you, it's time to write a check and to plant a seed 
right now. And if you do not, you will not be blessed. You will, not, you will probably be cursed if you do not plant a seed right now. And so get out your checkbooks and write it right now. The Rod Ritchie Hawaiian Condo Fund. <laughs> this is not a joke, people. The people in Hawaii need Jesus more than you know. And God is sending me. This is what's going on in Corinth. The sophists, the wise ones, again, that the Greeks were really drawn to, and the preachers, the Christian preachers, were ripping people off, left and right. And it was happening all over the community. And so these young believers were like, what's this all about? You want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's going to cost you a lot. And Paul knows what's happening, and he's a good shepherd. I will not make use of my right to a wage, because I know that will be an obstacle for you. Because as soon as I mention anything about wage, it's going to be a stumbling block. You will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I won't do it. I have rights, and I'm telling you what it means to have these rights. And he finishes his argument. He says, you know, listen, the Old Testament says that the priest, when sacrifice was being made in the temple, that they had rights. They would get the meat sacrificed. And if it was a burnt offering, they would actually get the, the skin off the animal, and they could either use it or sell it. If it was a grain offering, they would get the bread. That's appropriate, and it was what would take place in the Old Testament ways. And he's just reminding them. And his final thing, which is kind of the biggest thing of all, about the reason he has a right to a wage, Jesus said so. Jesus said so in Matthew 10. He said the laborer is worthy of his wage. It's good. It's godly. It's what I expect from the body of Christ. It's not sinful for a pastor to expect a wage. I really do think, as pastors, we're called to live simply. I really believe that. And, and I think we do in this church family. To live simply. Not to, to take money and abuse it like we see often. But Paul says, listen, Jesus has that. And he says it. And then verse 15, but, but. I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. It's not like, now get your checkbooks out. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Verse 18, what then is my reward? What am I running towards? Just this, he says, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge. And so not make use of my rights in preaching. Because, listen, here's what he's saying. I don't want to take anything from you. Because here's the deal about who I am. God, God invaded my life on this road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. He turned my life upside down. And he saved me. And he gave me new life. 
And he's placed a purpose in my life to preach the good news to anyone who will hear it. He sent me, that's what apostle is, right? One who's sent out. He sent me out to bring the good news. And I have to do it. He's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, I got this fire on my tongue. I can't shut up about God's love and his truth. Paul is saying the same thing. I'm not doing this for money. That's the furthest thing. I, I have to do this. And not only do I have to do it, it is my greatest joy. It is my greatest privilege. It fills me full that God wants to use my life to speak to his kingdom, to speak to those who are lost and broken about his kingdom work and about his love and about his sacrifice. That's my privilege. And you won't take that away from me. And you're not going to use this money issue, even though it's my right. It's not going to be in the way. He's running in such a way as to win the prize. Running strong, holding on to the Lord. And so he says, listen, I will become a servant, verse 19, a slave, a servant to everybody, to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become a Jew. That means if they're, they're into legalism and that's really still where they're at, I'll stay there with them and I'll minister with them. I will enter in. To those that don't have the law, I become like one not having the law. I'm free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. To the weak, I become weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by possible, all possible means I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share. Look at this part, 23. I may share in its blessings. That life is run with purpose and life receives the pleasure of the Father and, and I, I can't just sit on the couch and watch the big game. i got to be in it. And that's God's calling, I think, to each of us. I need to be in the game. I rejoice and I won't let anything hinder that. And so I become anything to everybody. What does that look like practically? What does it look like? I think it means this. We get outside these church walls and we enter in with people right where they're at. With our plumb line being Christ, okay? That means that we don't lose our moral compass. We don't lose what is true. If I've got a buddy who you know, who's an unbeliever and he hangs out at strip bars, it doesn't mean like, well, I should probably hang out with you, man, so that we can have life together. No, you stay the moral compass. Christ is at the center of that. But it does mean you enter in to some places that are pretty sketchy, if you would say that. That's where the lost and broken typically are. We don't come in with a judgmental finger how dare you that you have this lifestyle? We come in with the love of Christ, understanding where they're at. And that's for, for young believers, and that's for those who don't know the Lord. I, I uh, had a lot of buddies who worked with uh, Youth with a Mission in uh, 
Amsterdam, YWAM. And I showed up at their base in Amsterdam, actually shared a wall with a satanic church. Talk about being right in the middle of spiritual warfare. Actually, the first day I showed up, a woman was possessed by demons. I've never seen it before, never seen it since, but this woman was possessed. And they were ministering to her and praying over her, and we entered into that. But one of their big ministries in YWAM in Amsterdam is there's a lot of women who are put in a window. The red light district. And they're just left there to be used and abused. And so God put on the heart of YWAM to these certain beautiful saints, listen, let's just go hang out with these women in the window and offer them life and befriend them and care about them. And so these dear women went and started to minister to these prostitutes who really were stuck in a lifestyle they never wanted to be in and started to gently lead them to Christ. I'll do anything. I'll become whatever I need to be to enter in. Plumb lines, Jesus. But God has me running this race with purpose. I'm not beating the air going, huh, what's it all about? I'm running in such a way and I will keep running in such a way and, and I will keep sharing the love of Jesus and I will not let things become a stumbling block because my pride can get in the way. Right? And that's the same for us, isn't it? Our pride and our judgmental attitude gets in the way. And so the scriptures go on to say, and it's a, it's a, verse, it's a verse that we struggle with, I want to run and keep running so that I won't be disqualified. For you guys who've read in advance, you're going, what in the world does that mean? That I would be disqualified. I don't think it's a loss of salvation passage. I think it's simply this. In our freedoms, we can eventually end up really sinning against our brothers and sisters and in our own life. Our pride takes over. And we run in such a way where as we say, listen, you struggle with eating meat sacrificed to idols, just get over it and eat a cheeseburger with me right now. I don't care about how you feel. Grow up. And you're running and you're tripping people up and they don't get it. It's the pastor who's abusing money. I don't get that. I run in such a way as not to be disqualified. I think it has the idea of, listen, if we're going to let pride and if we're going to run in such a way where we don't control our freedoms, we lose our influence. We lose our influence. We become disqualified. That, for Paul would be the worst thing ever because his whole life is about I want people to know the love of Jesus. And if all of a sudden I lost my influence because I, I created a stumbling block and, and continued to do so because of my pride, oh. And I think that's the question for all of us. Are we living in that pride of our freedoms and yet we're losing our influence on the community around us about the love of Christ? Our pride leads us to judgment. I won't go hang out with that person with all kinds of piercings and tattoos. That's, what's that all about? That's our, we get there. Or their lifestyle, and we won't enter in. 
I want to run the race in such a way that the gospel would be proclaimed very clearly. Jesus loves you right where you're at. So much he died on that cross for your sin. So much that he wants to give you life that if you believe upon him, you shall be saved. I want you to know that truth. I don't want my freedoms to get in the way of you hearing that. And so I run the race in such a way as to win the prize. And I want to hear the words from my Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, you are so amazing in in how you love us. And so amazing that you want to use our lives to be part of your kingdom work. And Father, we long to run this race in your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We long to, to not just be entering the race and dressed up like Christians, but to really have a goal. And Father, we want to please you with our lives. And forgive us, Lord, if we have placed some stumbling blocks with our pride. Help us to have the liberty to love well. And Father, again, I just pray that you do a good work in us. Thank you for the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to walk into. And may we run that race well. In your precious name, amen.